Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to have a guest on today who I have quote unquote known on the online world for like a decade at this point, I think. So Stacey Harris, over to you. Tell us about yourself and your work. I am so thrilled that we finally get to do this. Thank you. We have known each other a strangely long time to have not done this before. I am, in fact, Stacey Harris. I am the owner of Uncommonly More. We are a podcast production agency that specifically works with service-based business owners who are using their podcast to generate, educate, and convert right-fit clients. I have been in business for 12 years. I launched an agency, Uncommonly More, in 2019. And it was a big shift from a personal brand to an agency. And I thought we could talk about some of the reasons I made that decision and the impact of that because it was a change. <laughs> yeah, you already kind of alluded to this topic, but we we stumbled into this in one of our converse, our only conversation we've had so far. And I think it's a really important topic. I know you're going to shed a lot of light on this idea of preparing your business in a way that is not just a personal brand. So yeah, so kind of talk us through a little bit about that decision, where it leads you in terms of potentially selling the business one day. Tell me your whole thought process. So it's interesting. I was, I guess, roughly eight-ish years into the business. I'd had my podcast for, at that point, probably oh six years. The show's 10 years old now. And I was known as the Stacey Harris. I had built a membership and and done all these things, but providing a service of some kind had always been at the core of my offers, it was always sort of my, for lack of a better way to phrase it, my baseline income, my baseline revenue. This will keep the lights on and then everything else is sort of the growth. And I was looking ahead at what I wanted from my business down the road. At the time I had a 10-year-old, I now have a 14-year-old getting ready to go into high school, something that generally surprises people who have known me online because I don't talk about him online. But we were sort of sitting down and going like, cool, so what do we want our lives to look like in five years, in 10 years? And what am I building as a retirement? You know, I started my business at 25. I was not thinking about retirement. (laughs) I was not thinking about what happens on the other side of that. I was thinking about making a little extra money for vacations. Genuinely, that's how the business started. And so when I sat down for maybe the first meaningful time in eight years, I went, cool, what is on the other side of working? What is on the other side of the business? What am I actually building towards and not just sort of my annual revenue goal? And I realized that I was holding on to something. I was very intentionally building something. I was shoveling into something that kind of had an expiration date and it went right along with my expiration date. Like if I decided to stop, it stops. You know, not to get dark early, but like if something happened to me as the primary provider, we're a one income family. My husband is a stay at home dad. So if something happened to me, there's a problem for my family. 
And so what am I actually building? What am I actually spending all of this time, all of this money, all of this energy investing in? And it left me really uncomfortable with the answer. And so I started shifting towards how do I actually build an asset, a business that is not an expense, that is not just how I make a living, not just how we keep the lights on, but is actually potentially a legacy, potentially an asset, whatever I need it to be. It's interesting because right now we have enrolled my son in high school. And one of the things we've been talking a lot about is when you come to 12th grade, I don't care that you have everything figured out, but I do want you to have as many options as possible for Mm -hmm. that next chapter. And sort of applying that to my own life and saying like, I don't actually know that I want to sell. I don't actually know if I'll just hand it over to somebody in my company and I will run it in a way more hands-off way. I don't know what it'll look like, but I want to have as many options as possible when I get there. Yeah. And that was really the precipice for launching the agency. Okay, so this is really good. And I want to use this point right now to say for anyone who's listening who is like, I'm not going to sell. Like either you've written it off as an option or you've never even heard it presented as an option, which we're going to get into the stats of that because it's wild how few people are actually even told that they can sell a company. And so I start telling people now because I've done it, which we'll get to because I haven't actually shared that story yet here on the podcast. But even if you're right now, your first reaction is I'm probably not going to sell my company. Keep listening to this episode because we're going to talk about the thought process and the thought experiments that you can put yourself through to make your business more sustainable, even if you decide not to sell. And so I love the way you said that too, is you're just setting it up so that you have all the options on the table. And I love that you learned from your experience with the teenager. That's great. (laughs) You know, there's a lot to be learned from teenagers. That's the one thing I have learned as an adult. (laughs) But no, I I think you're exactly right. It impacts the day-to-day and we'll talk about this at some point, but unhinging my business from my person unhooking my, for lack of a better way to phrase it, like identity and worth from my business, it's probably one of the best things I've done for me. Yeah. Like that has been the biggest thing to come out of it is, is this idea of like, oh, it's actually separate from me. It's this whole thing that exists out there. Makes it a lot easier to remember that your business is still a job. You just created it, but it's still a job. It's still something you want to put away at the end of the day and go have your life. And that's, that's been really helpful. That's so huge. And obviously with social media, I know a lot of people out there are like, you are your brand. And I say that sometimes even. Like there is components of your personality that tie into your brand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The way you talk, the way that you create content, all of that. And also I love your perspective of it is a separate asset. And just the distinction of setting it up that way can help you already detangle yourself. Absolutely. I'm still a personal brand. There are still absolutely people who see me and go, the Stacey Harris, all one word. You've done this for a long time. I host our podcast. I am in front of our sales. I build our strategy. I'm still very much so the face of Uncommonly More. Yeah, It's just, and (laughs) it's not just me. There's me and other people. There's me and a larger entity that exists. It's not just me. Yes. Okay. We're going to talk about that. I want to give a little background again on my story because again, I've never shared it here. So super quick. You have to share this. I'm sitting here flabbergasted. (laughs) Never mentioned it. Not one time on the podcast. I know. Isn't that crazy? I'm so glad we decided to do this. If for no other reason than they get to hear the story. (laughs) 
Well, what's so wild is I rarely think about it. So when you and I had our conversation, we talked about it. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, this is actually really meaningful and symbolic. Like we got money for it. We made money off of it, which was incredible. But I was thinking about it before you and I started recording and I was like, it was really also symbolic. Is like the work that I've put into this lives beyond me and it keeps going after I'm not involved. And that symbolism was really important to me. So I talk a lot with my clients about the five types of project ROI. So when you create projects, what comes back to you? So positive emotions, social capital, impact, revenue, and time. So you're getting those five things back. And so if you think about selling the business, I'm like, obviously we got money, but we also got, there was social capital in that. And there's a lot of positive emotion, the confidence of being someone who has sold their business. So I appreciate you for helping me tap back into that when it's easy for me to forget since it was a while ago. It's always easy for us to forget our own accomplishments or minimize them. (laughs) Isn't it just, yeah, like literally just don't, it doesn't even cross my mind. So long story short, I started a website, an online community for women business owners called One Woman Shop back in the day in 2014 at the kitchen table, just created it on a whim, created the entire website in a day, which is how my brain works. (laughs) Yeah. Like same. Came up with the name, created up, they came up with that concept, made the actual website. And then after that, I ended up bringing on a business partner. So shout out to Sarah Frandina. We'll link her in the show notes. She's amazing. And so she and I ran the one-woman shop that became a two-woman shop. (laughs) Um, We ran it for several years together. And then we both reached a point where we wanted to do other things. I wanted to do a corporate job, which I don't know why, but I did. (laughs) I wanted that experience. The grass is always greener. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I did it, but I'm glad to be back to business ownership. And she was having a family. And so we loved our reasons for letting go of it. And we never talked about it. But as soon as it was on our radar as an option, we were like, oh. And we had this moment where it occurred to both of us that it was possible and that we actually wanted that. So we ended up setting out, finding two buyers to take it over and letting go of the business and then going on to do our own things. So it was, yeah, again, super symbolic, financially awesome to see that work come to fruition. And yeah, so what are your thoughts on that, first of all? What I love is there was this moment of like, oh, it occurred to you both that this was an option, which is, you know, so much of the reason behind this conversation and it's funny as as I sat down and sort of audited what I had and what this was and what I wanted, I was working with a coach at the time who we have to link to and I will share and I highly recommend you checking out Tara Newman. She's got the Bold Money Revolution podcast and she often works with business owners and she and I have known each other since 2015 and we, we've worked together in, in lots of ways. But it was so interesting because I was I was talking to her and I was like, we had worked together. She had hired me. And I was like, I think I want to do this thing. What do you think? And it was really interesting because it was one of those times where, like you were going through, I hadn't really thought about something as an option. And then I had a fairly simple conversation with someone and was like, oh, and much like you starting that, like that was actually summer 2018. She was our first official agency client by, I don't know, a week after we had that conversation. And we officially launched the agency in 2019. So these moments, and and this is what I really want to highlight, is these moments where you're having what are potentially simple conversations. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, there's an awareness that just wasn't there before of options of like, 
oh, and I think so often we try to think so hard about what our next step is. And this brings me back to what I was talking about, about just setting up opportunities to have as many options as possible so that when you hear about these things, when you have these simple conversations that trigger these big insights, that's available to you operating from this place of like, I'm going to be available for the opportunities that I want to have show up. And so I really love that you both were just like, oh yeah, we could do that. (laughs) This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What you said is we'll talk about specific tangible things you can put in place when you think about it this way. But like you said, it's also just the mentality and the mindset that just gives you again, a level of confidence a level of forecasting into the future in a really helpful way that allows you to then say, okay, whatever crosses my path, I don't need to have it all figured out, but whatever crosses my path, I can be open. It's an openness that I think sparks in you. And that's really exciting. Yeah. And for me, that really came from making the decision to remove my name. Like you want to talk about tangible steps. That was the first biggest one is to go from the domain you find me at being thestacyharris.com and my name and every social channel being my name and my face to, in a lot of cases, it's still my face, but it's not always my name. It's most often uncommonly more. And my, my name might be there as well so that you can tie those things together. But taking that first tangible step of just saying like, it's cool for there to be something that sits here and holds the place of my name so that I can drift in and out if I want to. Selling isn't the only option here. There's also the I take a step back and we have people on the team who actually end up hosting the podcast or running strategy or whatever. Like I have the ability to sort of slowly transition or fire myself roll by roll by roll over time if I decide there's actually something in the middle that I want. But that doesn't happen if I don't first take that tangible step of saying, cool, I want to create something that could exist without me. It's going to be real hard for somebody to host the The Stacey Harris Show who is not, in fact, Stacey Harris. It's going to be weird. (laughs) Okay. What occurred to me as you were talking, I talk a lot about your zone of value. And so the zone of value is a place where your strengths, your desires, and your preferences overlaps with your stakeholders' needs. So what you're speaking to is the ability to slowly but surely get yourself even more squarely into your own zone of value. And Let's specifically highlight not just the abilities part, but the preferences where you're like, I don't want to do the podcast anymore. Cool. I've set myself up so I don't have to do that. I think that's really, really a valuable way to think about it. I think we so often, especially in the online business space, talk about delegation and talk about hiring a team and talk about these things. But when we're doing that inside of a personal brand exclusively, we're limited there ends up being a place where that stops. You know, we see this a lot in people running group programs where they're like, okay, but like once I get in, will I actually be working with you? Because it's you and your personal brand that sold me this program. But then I get behind the scenes and it's actually this like group of junior coaches or whatever their mentors, whatever they're framed as is that program. And so there starts being this like, oh, well, will I really get? Or like, where do you actually fall? Because... They have a personal brand and they have to be forward-facing selling. It gets hard to get to be in the delivery because your responsibility is in that face of the marketing, right? And so you don't really have a choice. And I am a big proponent of choices. I'm a big proponent of options, as you have probably discovered in the 
15 minutes we've been talking so far. Yeah. And I didn't ever want to be again in a situation. Cause like I said, at the time I was running a membership, I couldn't have somebody come in and suddenly start teaching in the membership or delivering courses in the membership without people being like, wait, <laughs> this isn't what I signed on for. And so I had built something that was very much so similar to a job by that where someone else dictated the rules. I had removed my autonomy by being the deliverable, essentially, right? Yeah. And so I had to find a way where I could, once again, create those options. I'm on the podcast because I like doing the podcast. It's my favorite part of my business. We just released episode 600. Wow. I've spent 10 years talking to myself in the corners of rooms. I love that. It, that would be the hardest part for me to give up. I love the strategy. I love getting to sit down with our clients every quarter and build out their content plan for that next 12 weeks and be in it with them. I don't want to do the project management of it. I don't want to do the actual editing and show notes creation. I do like doing the final touch where I go through and I make sure everything's ready and all packaged up for our clients. I do like building the structure and framework we use for production, the processes we use for production. So that's what I get to do now because I have created an environment where I get to spend the time doing the things I like most. Doesn't mean I don't ever do things I don't like. I will say that there are still days where you have to eat the frog or whatever the cliche is. But more often than not, I get to live in those preferences you're talking about. Yeah. And one of the things that you touched on was really bringing yourself into integrity with the front end of the business and the back end. So the sales and marketing and then the delivery. And so your point being, if you are clear about that upfront and you've set up systems to support that, you're not blindsiding your clients and leaving them with a bad taste in their mouth. You're from the get-go being super clear and upfront about that. So I think that's a really good benefit I hadn't even thought of. I have so often, unfortunately, in the course of sales calls, had conversations where like, cool, so after we sign the contract, who will I ask questions to? And I'm like, well, you'll go into Monday and I'll see them there. Or, you know, if somebody else on the team, like, you know, our editor, Lori, it's a specific edit question, sometimes she'll jump in or something like that. But more often than not, you'll keep talking to me or it's, okay, so who will, who's actually going to be doing my strategy calls? And I'm like, me, <laughs> I am. Yeah, because that's what we're creating. And when that changes, that will be different. The show will probably end up co-hosted or I will will have regular recurring episodes where the team is there or they'll end up being a secondary show that the team leads or there'll be some piece where you meet those people or whoever is going to be your project manager. If you sign the contract will appear in the sales call with us so that you get a feel for what working with them will be like, not just me. It's so important to me that business owners and anybody, anybody investing in themselves with any kind of coach or consultant or service provider is getting what they were sold on the front end. And if that's a working relationship with the personal brand they're buying from, they shouldn't have to check. <laughs> it should be clear. And that, that's something that's really important to me. And so when I decided I wasn't going to do everything, and when I decided we were going to deliver these services at scale, and when I decided... We were going to have an opportunity for people to work not just with me, with the team. I talk about the team a lot. We talk about the team on the podcast. We have a whole episode called What Working With Uncommonly More Looks Like. And we talk about each step and our editor touches it. And then we've got writers who do it. And we've got a transcriptionist who's going to look at it. And then we've got a, a production assistant who is actually going to do your scheduling. You know that there are people. You see their pictures in our dashboards. It's clear who's involved with this thing you care so much about. 
Yeah. It's just transparency. That's all it's getting to is transparency. What's sad is the bar should not be low enough that this is exciting information. Yeah. (laughs) But so often in sales calls, people are like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was thinking as you were talking, I've heard some examples of coaching programs where somebody has to take a bunch of time off. The coach has to take a bunch of time off. And so they bring in a new coach, but they don't prepare their clients. They're not straightforward about it. And the clients are upset. And then the coach, because of often what the coach has been taught by their coaches is basically like, your client should be fine with it. Your client shouldn't be upset. If they were committed, they wouldn't care who was delivering the product. And I'm like, no, your clients are allowed to have opinions about what they got versus what they wanted. Yeah. So yeah, there. that's a whole separate ethics conversation. And not even what they wanted, but what they were sold. <laughs> right. What was promised. Yeah. Okay. This is so good. So yeah, that piece that I hadn't even thought about before you brought this up is the ethics of setting your business up for selling potentially allows you to start thinking about that ethical piece earlier on than you might otherwise. That's huge. It's so impactful. Yeah. I want to mention this. This might seem a little bit out of left field, but I just think it's really important. So I want to make sure we say it. I want to talk about the gender bias of this whole idea of selling your business. I don't actually have stats on this, but I am strongly of the opinion that women specifically aren't told that selling is an option. Would you agree with that? What is your experience there? I would absolutely agree. I have been in the digital marketing space for years. And it was interesting when we first launched the agency, we were actually a full service digital marketing. We did social, we did email, we did podcasting. We can actually talk about how making this decision is why we narrowed and niched and and went really, really clear. We I think that might be a really great place for us to go next. But yeah. in those early years, I was attending a lot of digital marketing kind of conferences. And I'm not going to name names, but I remember being at a party at part of this event. And I was in this group of people and somebody who had just sold their agency. It was a mixed gender group. The person who had just sold their agency happened to be a male. And he proceeded to talk to each of the other males about what they needed to do to sell their agency. My skin's crawling already. (laughs) I'm already so bad. Not even (laughs) recognizing that there were other people. To the point in which that, like, this man turned his back to the three women who were standing there. Who, by the way, just not to be a, but whatever, all were fucking making more money than the three men he was talking to. Mm-hmm. all had bigger businesses, bigger client lists, and more success than the three people he was talking to about selling their business who had just started. That is the gender bias <laughs> in selling. Is, is so often it's, well, obviously that's what you're doing. You're working towards, you know, what are you going to do after you sell this agency? What are you going to do after that? You know, what's your next? Whereas as women, it's this cute little business to make some money while your husband does something else. And when you get distracted by the kids or when you get whatever the thing is, you'll just step out, I guess. It'll just go away. Right. Well, and yeah, and I think to your point, you're discredited for, I don't have dependents, (laughs) but I know I work with tons of clients who have families and it's like you're discredited for if you do you take a break or you pause and you have stuff going on with your kids that you want to pay attention to. It's like somehow that makes you less of an adequate professional business owner, which is just ridiculous. Well, and, and what was particularly 
interesting for me is this was several years after I had retired my husband. My husband has been retired from his day job and I have been the sole provider for my family for eight and a half years. (laughs) It was four years before we even launched the agency. So at the time I'm standing there being like, I am the one breadwinner in this conversation. (laughs) Like, how about we open our minds to the fact that families also look different. Sometimes they involve kids. Sometimes they involve dogs. Sometimes they involve no one. They look like lots of things. Yeah. And life looks like lots of things. You know, one of the things we don't talk about is kids aren't the only dependents. Our parents are getting older. Our grandparents have health issues and our parents are still working because that generation isn't necessarily retiring in the same way they were. And so it might be easier for a grandchild to step out and become the caregiver for an elder relative. Like there are lots of things that necessitate a change in your business and in I'll say in your work life. Yeah. And so I think we have to remove the gender from it, which is really hard to do, and open this conversation to like what sets you up for success in your life? What is most supportive of you living the way you want to live? Again, this is a big reason, you know, we transitioned and I wanted to have that that option to sell if I ever wanted to sell. If I ever need to pull up stakes and get the heck out of town or reprioritize my time, how can I do that? And that's regardless of gender. You know, my husband could be in the same situation, but that's not how we tend to think about it. That's not how we tend to be talked to about it. And so we end up with a lot of women who don't realize that there is an opportunity for them to reduce some of their stress of trying to carry it all by themselves and build this this thing that is completely built on their shoulders yeah. when they're also expected to have the full responsibility of raising and caring for their family, whatever that may look like, or caring for themselves, whatever that may look like. They also need to fully shoulder that responsibility. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. And to just that feeling, and even if it's an unspoken feeling, carrying around that idea of like, well, if I stop working in the business, it just poof, all the hard work Mm -hmm. just immediately vanishes and there's nothing left. There's no legacy. There's no asset. And the fact that we accept that without even knowing to question it, crazy. It's bananas. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also why we have to have conversations like this because it's also not all like, you know, $20 billion sales. Like, Selling your business can look like lots of things. It could end up looking like mine might very well look like where I don't actually sell it. Maybe we end up eight years, 10 years from now and my son wants to enter the business. And so we transition him into that role or somebody on my team is like, I love this thing. And I'm like, cool, I want to step out. It can look like lots of things. Yeah. As long as you prepare it to look like lots of things. Okay. I next... After the question I'm going to ask, <laughs> I want to go to how do people prepare? What are the tangible things? But I actually want to make a pit stop at what you said about niching down. So how did that decision support setting yourself up to have all these options? So we initially started the agency because I was like, I need to have something that's bigger than me. And it was wildly unsustainable. We were doing too much. We were customizing at every step of the road, which gets really hard to sell at scale, but is really easy for service providers to end up in because quite frankly, everybody thinks they want custom. And so trying to do so many things, trying to deliver social and email and everything, content at a high level, 
without it being custom, it was unmanageable and it was unruly. And again, I'm going to credit Tara Newman, who I was working with at the time for helping me productize my business. In fact, I did a whole episode on her show about it, where we talked about productizing down to podcast only because I needed to build something that could function front to back and run without my guidance. Because when we first launched the agency, I was still absolutely critical because I was the only one who understood how the pieces fit together. I had Mm. team support on delivery, but I still sat at the helm of custom project management plan building for every single client. Now, after we niched down in 2020, after we narrowed our focus, after we productized our offer, I was able to go, oh, this is how we deliver it. This is what we look like. We have templates in our project management software and those get duplicated out. And some tweaks happen because there is still some level of customization that will happen with clients. You know, client A will need timestamp show notes when client B, we do a blog post and client C gets to, has a YouTube video as well. You know, there's still some of that nuance that can happen, but it's all like A or B kind of nuance instead of we have to completely build this at each step. And I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have thought about it and worked through that process if I hadn't first stepped out of this is me. And again, that idea of it resting completely on my shoulders. Yeah. I had to separate myself from it a little bit. And that really was helped by launching an agency that separated it from my name, really investing in my team and building out who it was that I was supported by and and my clients were also supported by so that I could go, oh, okay, we do have a system actually. There is a, a repeated process here. Here is our framework. Here is how this operates. Here is why this works. And that that was really, launching the agency was the first step. But when we talk about how, this is a critical step in that how, is knowing what is your framework? What does delivery look like? What is your process? What are the assets you need to have to deliver? What are the things you need from the client for the deliver? You know, even from a coaching perspective, cool, what are my session packages? You know, we're not customizing these things by things. This is a product. Yeah. Just like we would have a product code if it was a physical product. This is a whole thing. Here's what's included there. I love this. So my brain immediately goes into how do we action this? So what I was thinking of is for people listening, ask yourself what percent of my business is currently totally customized by client or customer? And what is that costing me? To your point. And then second, if you wanted to change that percentage and let's say you want to keep some level of customization, let's say even like right now you're at 90% customized and 10% systemized. If we look at that as the, the scale, let's say you just want to get to 50-50, what would that require of you? And is that work worth systemizing right now? Or is it something that you need to put in your brain and back burner for the near future? What do you think about that? I'd also highly recommend taking the step first of auditing. Track your time for a week. Yeah. Because you will be amazed at the amount of tasks that you repeat. And when you can look at, you know, we talk about this often from a like making sure you're priced fairly or making sure you're working efficient. We talk a lot about it from that perspective, but I don't care about the times. If you're somebody who's like, I don't want to track the time, just write down what you do in each task because 
this was a really important first step is I realized there was actually a whole lot more framework there already than I realized. I was just in customizing everything. I was really just repeating a lot of the same stuff in slightly different configurations. I was putting those pieces together every time, but they often looked very similar, if not the same. So sitting down and auditing just what you do day to day, you'll start to see pieces of your framework. Auditing what you do client project by client project. Sitting down and brain dumping. And I start at when a lead comes in. Yeah. Solidly. Not just like somebody signs in for your email list, but like somebody books a sales call with me. Let's start there. From sales call, what happens to offboarding? Every single thing I have to do because doing that helped me realize that so much of it was already there. Yeah. I didn't have to. And at the time, the idea of creating a framework or a process felt really overwhelming. And it was like, oh, wait, there's one here. I just haven't acknowledged it. I haven't made space for it. I haven't articulated it anywhere. And so it lives in my head. And that's that's not a safe place for that information to be because it's not transferable to anybody else. And so... For me, that was really that first step is recognizing where those, for lack of a better way to phrase it, patterns already were, because you might realize you're actually a lot closer to where you'd like to be than you, than you are currently working as if you are. Does that make sense? Uh, It makes so much sense. And it makes my heart so happy because what I'm hearing (laughs) through my bias lens is thinking about selling your business makes you more productive. Absolutely. Right? You're saying even if you never sell, or even if you sell eight years from now, the work that it takes to get your business to that place requires you to be more efficient and to, again, find efficiencies that you don't even know you have and then create efficiencies that you don't yet have. And I'm like, that is a value add right now. Well, and let's talk about the other ROI here that you mentioned of time. When I launched the agency, when I was doing a membership, which is supposed to buy me all this time and financial freedom, I was working 40 to 50 hours a week. I make about twice as much money now. And I work about 25, 30 hours a week, providing done for you services where I am involved in the delivery. It's not like I'm just selling them on the front end and I've got people in the ethers of the outer skirts of the planet. Then it runs through chat GPT or something like I'm still delivering. We've got strategy calls with clients. We do intensives. We've got add-on projects that we'll do for clients like private podcasts. And I'm setting up some of that tech. I'm in it for sure with them still. And still I'm working less because separating my identity from it, separating my self from having it all on my shoulders, giving myself enough distance from it to objectively look at what the processes were so that I could build out our system, our framework, our process, so that we could articulate that, document that, and have that exist inside the team, bought me so much time and so much brain space because now there is a thing that exists separate from me that runs when I need to take a day off. I have a client who I've been working with for 10 years who is going to be in town tomorrow, and I'm going to spend the day with her. We're going to a museum. We're going to have lunch. And I can do that. I can show up for that relationship in that way because I know what our system is. I know what our framework is. I work much more efficiently. My team is working much more efficiently because we all know what's happening because it can be documented, because I could separate it from myself and get clear 
on the actual job. This is really helpful. And I'll give an example from my business. So I was thinking about bringing on a virtual assistant that I haven't actually brought on yet, but will eventually. And one of the things that I used to do is I used to hire virtual assistants. There's like all these poor, poor virtual assistants that I have burned. (laughs) I'm laughing, but it sucks because I hired them because I was overwhelmed. And my philosophy now is you take whatever your predominant emotions are when you hire a virtual assistant, you're just taking your emotions and you're putting those onto another person. So if you are completely overwhelmed and scattered and stressed and you think the solution is hiring someone, you're just taking those emotions and making them feel that way. And it's hard for them to do the job effectively. Whereas now I'm a really strong advocate of you first get clear and simple and strategic. And then whatever is left over that makes sense to hire out, that's what you hire out. So all that to say, I am now slow rolling hiring a virtual assistant because I'm like, I just, I don't need it yet. My business is actually very simple. I don't even need a VA right now. But I did go through the documentation. I was like, what do I do? How long does it take me? And I just like wrote it all down in a way that made sense to me and I think makes sense to another person. The benefit is when I run one of my five-day challenges, there's a ton of these little pieces like, you know, create the Facebook group and change this tagline and they're little pieces. I open up my documentation and I just go bam, 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 bam. Yep. And then I'll find something and I'll be like, oh yeah, I totally would have forgotten to do that. Thank goodness I thought to write it down as I was going through the process. So I think there's a lot of nuggets in what I just said, but that last piece is do it as you're going through the process. This doesn't necessarily need to be this separate, huge time-consuming activity. You can do it when you're already at work. Like for you, you're doing a podcast, document it as you go. And I'll take it a step further. There's a tool I love called Tango. It literally records your screen. It is built to build an SOP, a standard operating procedure, while you're working. And so it sits in the background and it documents everything you click. And then you can go through that document, add notes, whatever. But it's going to have what the URL was, what the button was, a screenshot of what was happening. And it documents for you. Love it. And all you have to do when you go is go in and edit absolutely be building this documentation in the process of working. Here's the benefit of that. So a couple of fun facts. One, I started my business as a VA. The first version of this business was as a virtual assistant. And so I have always been hyper aware of the only way to get a benefit out of adding anyone to your team is having a really clear understanding of what they're going to do so that you can tell them that so that they can actually do it because they cannot read our minds no matter how convenient that superpower would be if VAs could have it. But the other piece is in my first hire was technically my husband. When we retired him from his day job, he came in and worked for me. And I remember going through and telling him how to do something for a client. At the time, we were providing social media marketing services. In addition, like I said, I've always had a service component while I was teaching and providing courses and stuff, I also had done for you. And he was helping me with scheduling social media. And I went through and I was like, here's what you do. Step one, step two, step... I thought I was so clear, but I didn't have it documented anywhere. This was many, many years ago now, eight years ago now. I didn't have it documented anywhere. And I remember him coming in about, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour later. And he was like, I don't understand how you got here. I'm like, what are you talking about? You just clicked that. He goes, you never told me that. (laughs) 
And this is the benefit of creating these documentation pieces while you're in it. Because there is a button in the middle (laughs) you will forget about. There is a step in the middle you will forget about. So the best way you can do it is conveniently the most time effective. And that's while you're in the process. If you don't want to use something like Tango, record a Loom video. That's how I started out with a lot of our processes. I just turned the Loom on and then went about doing my work. And sometimes I'll narrate it because (laughs) I frequently talk to myself while working anyways, I'll be honest. And that's how you survive 600 episodes of podcasting. You just get really comfortable talking to yourself. And so I would just sort of walk through the process. I would do the thing I needed to do anyways, instead of sort of creating from memory this task list. And so I would implore you that the best way to do it is while you're in the process anyways. Yeah. The other benefit that we actually haven't articulated of this and this was actually one of the caveats I wanted to mention with this episode is I can already see some of my clients who are more like the self-identified perfectionist. What I can see happening is they're like, ooh, okay, this taps into my planning brain, my brain that likes to be behind the scenes, hammering things out perfectly. I have these amazing processes and I have a complete handbook. And yes, I'm the only one on my team. And yes, I've never sold anything. Look at my process. So What we're encouraging you to do is do it as you have to do it. And that will give you the value of not getting too far ahead of yourself. Yes, we want you thinking ahead. And yes, we want you, again, jumping to the future in that healthy way to open up creativity, but not putting the cart before the horse. You're nodding along. Absolutely. It's funny because for me, I am very much so a jump and then we'll build parachute kind of girl. I will figure it out. I always have. I always will. And so it's interesting to me, but I I know for me that shows up as strategy. I will sit here and I will write out a plan and it, it will scratch the part of my brain that feels like I'm being effective. It will scratch the part of my brain that feels like I'm working without actually doing anything. I call it procrastinating because yes. it generally happens when I'm right in the middle of deep well of resistance. <laughs> course. Yeah. (laughs) And I can find myself trying to map out every contingency and every detail. And I think this is what happens when we started trying to plan too far ahead. And that's why I want to really bring us back to where I started with is I was sitting down four and a half, five years ago, probably about five years ago, going, cool, like what kind of things might I want to do when I'm 50 or 60? And this was at 32 years old. Like, I'm probably not going to retire anytime soon. I don't actually right now have another business I'd want to run. I'm really happy in my business right now. For right now, I have no problem saying, yeah, for the next 10 or 15 years, this is what I'll be doing and this is what it will look like. And that's cool. It will grow from where it is now. There might be, you know, ebbs and flows. But I also know that I don't feel like, look like, or live like I did 10 years ago. Yeah. And so I... I'm only creating the possibility of things. I'm not creating a sales plan right now. I'm not talking to people about what kind of legal paperwork I'll need to fill out to transition. No, but I made sure that like I had an entity that was sellable, that I had something that was separate from me, that I had these components in place, that I had, you know, the right kind of business accounts or or whatever those things are that maybe you don't have in place now. And I just started doing those one thing at a time. And there's still stuff that I'll need to do and need to change. There's still parts of my B 
business that are dependent on me. I still am the person that delivers strategy in Uncommonly More. I can't leave until that changes. Yeah. But I also don't need to figure that out right now because it's not going to change in the next couple of months. And so that's that's a part that I document because we have a process and I have, I want to make it as efficient as possible for me to do it for as long as I'm doing it. But I'm not doing that in the same way that I would need to put together our SOP for how we respond to a lead coming in to the inbox. Because now somebody else does handle that. So that does need to be documented in a different way. So prioritize that documentation of like, what are the things I would be most ready to take off my plate first? Yeah, that's huge. I also want to go back to the piece about the vision. So you're talking even more longer term than what I generally work with my clients on. So the place, if you're my client, in the client portal, the anti-procrastination challenge, one of the first steps of that is we go through what is your three-year vision. So you could extend mm-hmm. that and you can just say, what is my five-year, 10-year vision? And what I always say, I'm like, the point of having a vision is not a plan. It's not saying, here are the things that I want to do. So let me make a plan to now achieve those things. It's setting up the conditions of your life of like, what sounds nice? What sounds lovely? What do I think I might want to do? so that you can then take the appropriate next steps towards that path. And what I found is that when I'm headed towards the vision, so many things open up that I hadn't even thought of. And then I can just play and experiment with that while still keeping in mind that vision. Absolutely. And it's interesting because at this point, certainly I'm looking at like, cool, so retirement and things like that. But the precipice of this, like why it started was actually my son turned 10. Hmm. And I was like, okay, double digits. Holy moly, we have eight years. We're further into this than we have left (laughs) of Mm. this part of being his parents, of this part of my life needing to look a certain way. And I had my son pretty young. I was 23 when I had my son. And so I'll be 41 when he graduates from high school. Cool. What does my life look like when we, when my household doesn't have a kid to get to school? doesn't have after-school activities, doesn't have sports, doesn't have, you know, weekend trips to Disneyland with his friends, doesn't have whatever those pieces are. What does my life look like? Because if I know myself well enough to know that if I don't start thinking about that, it will look like work because I will always fill my time with work. I said all during the initial shutdown of the pandemic, I think you and I had this conversation as well, I'm so grateful I have a family because I would have just closed myself in my house and worked 24-7 because I will always fill time with work. I have to be thoughtful about how I fill my time so I don't just close that space with work. Yeah. And so what a lot of it came to was like, cool, when I get to that next chapter of my life, when this part of my life shifts, what might I like it to look like? I knew then that my son very much so has the desire to leave the States to go to college. He would like to go to college out of the country. I'd like to be able to go visit him for potentially long stretches of time or go be in the area or whatever that is. That means I need to have certain things in place financially, but also time freedom. Yeah. And that wasn't going to happen in what my business looked like before. That wasn't going to happen in the early days of me building this agency. I knew I was going to need some runway to be able to buy that freedom and buy financially, certainly, but also time in the work (laughs) to to be at a growth and stabilize and scale place in my business that I wasn't going to be in the first four years of an agency. 
that I probably wasn't going to be in in the first six years of my agency, not building it the way I wanted to build it, not building it mindful of how my time is now and, and my freedom is now. Yeah. I knew I was going to want to have a runway so that I could enjoy my life while I was building that thing. And so it wasn't having the whole plan. It was just like, this is kind of what we want to work towards. It might change, but this is like the general direction we're moving in. Yeah. Okay. This is so good. It makes me think of two things. So one of the things that you said, and you've really conveyed this, is you're not afraid to put in the hard work. You're in the business in ways that you like, and you're putting in the sweat equity, really, to build this business in a way that is sustainable. And I just commend you for that. And I think that's really important for people to hear because in this day and age of just glamorized passive income and like the fewest hours possible, like I love time freedom. I created an incredible amount of time freedom for myself last year. It was amazing. And also I am energized by working in my business. I want to work in the business. So I just think that's important for people to hear is you get to lay the groundwork with hours in the business and that's not a problem. It doesn't have to be what is the bare minimum number of hours that I can put in. The second thing is, I just wanted to say what I was thinking about when you said next chapter, it was really helpful for me the way you phrase that because again, I don't have dependence even so much as a plant at this point. Nothing living in my home except me. No goldfish even. <laughs> that's good because no more things I have to keep alive are allowed to live in my house. That's the rule. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Sometimes I have my friends stay for a long time and I cook for them. That's the extent of it. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> it's, it's my like my love language for my friends. But when I think about the next chapter for me, I go, okay, for me, it's having a partner and it's having a ton of location independence and time freedom with that partner. And so I just wanted to say thank you as you really helped me think about, okay, how do I shape that next chapter? And what am I willing to put in now in order to set up that next chapter? So that's great. Thank you. I love that. It's, it's funny because I often frame it as, so my husband and I are about 10 years younger than most of my son's friends. And we often joke about us being 10 years younger. And we talk about the things that they did in their 20s versus the things that we did in our 20s. And I go, yeah, but I'm going to do all of that stuff in my 40s with money. So I think I win. I think I win. <laughs> but I think it can look different. You know, what that next chapter is might have nothing to do with begins, might have nothing to do with partner. It might be the next kind of business you want to run. It might be the yeah. next kind of thing you want to explore. It could be you didn't have the option to go to school for the thing you wanted to go to school for because of financial reasons or whatever, or capacity or family obligations, whatever that was. And so you built a business and you went into the workforce and you want to now have the opportunity to explore going back and getting an education or a degree in something or an experience or work a kind of job that like wasn't going to provide you enough money to live on at the time. But now you've built yourself a nest egg, you've built yourself a foundation, and you can go explore this other thing. I appreciate that you said that, but I want to be really clear that yeah. chapters can look like lots of things and they can be all kinds of lengths of time. And so even when you're looking at what you want three years from now, what is that chapter three years from now? What do you want in that chapter? You know, I think about each year, like, cool, what thing do I want this year that's different than last year? You know, last year was really big for me because I was committed to finding something that I could learn that I couldn't monetize. And so I decided to learn a second language. It's going very slowly. But it's a piece of my day, sometimes just 15, 20 minutes that I play with. And I do a thing that I'm never going to monetize because I needed that in my life in this chapter of my life. And so when you're thinking about these chapter things, it can be any kind of change or any kind of experience you've maybe always wanted to have. 
Yeah. That's such a good clarification. Thank you for saying that, for sure. It's important to me as somebody who has children to say that because I feel like so often, especially as a woman, especially so as a woman who owns a business, especially as a woman who started a business after my son was born, my son was two. Yeah. And in all honesty, and I've said this story a lot of times, my business exists because I hated being a stay-at-home mom. I was a stay-at-home mom for two years and it is not for me. It's a great thing. It's not a bad thing. But like, it's just not my thing. It wasn't for me. And so I needed to have some other part of myself. And I think so often we hear from, especially like women-owned businesses and the women that own them, that the kids are an imperative part of that brand, that kids are an imperative part of that journey, that it has to be built around a partner or procreation. And it's not true. (laughs) There's no obligation for you to build your business around any other identity outside of the fact that you want to own a business or sell a business or whatever that thing is. And so thank you for letting me have the time with a soapbox because I think it's especially important to hear that from someone who does have a kid is that it's not the only way and it's not the only reason that you might want to see changes. You might want to see shifts. Maybe you want to be able to do the things in your 40s that you just couldn't afford to do in your 20s and there's no kid at all involved. Aces, what is that next chapter that you want to explore look like? Thank you for saying all of that. I'm your target market for your soapbox, and I know other people are as well. So I, I genuinely do appreciate that. I'm always a little nervous. It'll just sound condescending. No. I'm a big proponent of choice. So we've <laughs> heard. It is perfectly <laughs> acceptable to not have kids. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I have one. That's enough. By the way, if you have one, the second you have them, you will be asked when you're going to have another. I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, can I get this one out of the hospital first? Yeah. It speaks to our society's need to know the next thing and some level of certainty, even if it's about other people's lives. We need that next step, which might sound hypocritical since we are asking you to look to the future <laughs> as you do this podcast episode. But I think there's a difference between hyper-focusing on what's next versus looking at it and then bringing yourself back to the current moment. And again, we're looking at what you might want. You know, if you're somebody who is sitting at, as I was at 25, starting your business, and I I had kids, but maybe you don't. And you're going, well, maybe the next chapter includes that. Maybe it doesn't. But I know that I want to have the opportunity to decide that then and not now. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. How do you have time freedom for whatever thing you want to have space for? three years into your business, five years into your business, because you are building something that you can be in. You can spend a a good long time in if you want to. Well said. Okay, you've given us so much good food for thought. Any final comments that you want people to be thinking about with this topic of opening up the possibility of self? I think for me, it comes down to options. Again, you know, we've certainly built this conversation around the idea of selling and exiting in that way. I mean, I think we could probably turn this episode into a drinking game around the amount of times I said choices, but it really does come (laughs) down to that. You know, what kind of opportunities do you want to be available for? And how do you make yourself available for when those opportunities show up? You know, we hear about a lot of this, like law of attraction and manifesting. And I'm not a particularly woo girly, but so often it is being available to the thing that I might want should it cross my path. And that's, often how I'm looking at it is, is yes, my goals, there's something very specific I'm working towards. And it's, for me, they're very much generally short term, because 
my ADHD needs that dopamine. And so it's like, cool, set goal, achieve goal, set goal, achieve goal. And so I like little tiny micro goals that I can sort of build in, but I have to have that like, cool, where is this little goal building to? Because A, it'll get you through the days that suck because there will be days that suck. And B, it will allow me to understand the why, which is so important for my brain. Like, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I might want to. And that's enough for me. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And to close out, where can people find you after this episode? I would love to invite you to come check out the More Profitable Podcast, which is the podcast I run where we talk all about podcasting. If you have a show or want to have a show, especially if you're using your show to generate revenue and generate clients and educate them and convert them, which is what we specialize in our podcast. That's all we talk about over there. So check out the More Profitable Podcast and that's over at uncommonlymore.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure talking about this with you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.